<laughs> so last week when we talked, um, at about the one hour and one minute mark, Pastor Aiken observed that there was a lot about grace and law in that conversation. And, and the subject of that conversation was guilt. But even though we had an outline, it, it did drift slightly. And where we got to was, how are people really understanding the freedoms in the, in the gospel of Jesus Christ? And, or rather, how, how do they continue to respond as though the gospel didn't really exist? And, and that might not be a great summary to get us started, but it at least reminds us where we came from. Does that, does that sound like something we all talked about, or is that just going on in my imagination? I think we both touched. I think we touched on that. So, the thing that you had mentioned last week, Pastor Aiken, was that the Thompson Chain Reference Bible struggled with the Romans 8:1 verse. There's now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Could you start us off there and explain what the struggle was, in in your opinion? Um, I think the struggle was accepting how how easy it is to be forgiven. It, it, it was almost like it was almost like, it was almost like coming from okay we're guilty and we need to be punished and God is saying and the Lord was saying well just like he said he said it's finished my work of redemption is finished you don't have to pay for what I've already paid for. And and that's that that's where the statement came from, and I I I hope I'm I hope I'm being clear on that. Uh, I just felt that Frank James Thompson, the writer of the Thompson Chain Bible, I forget the word that they used. It's not in the original. Uh, it's not in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's not in the original text. And the word that they use, it 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 almost implies that you got to do something. To make it right. Mm. Instead, inst- instead of Jesus said it's finished. I've paid the. You know, I had a, I had a, I had a, a very wise pastor say to me one time. I was a young preacher. He said, "Young preacher, Jesus has already died for the church. You don't have to die." And and, and I, I thought that I had to make all of these sacrifices and die. And he said, no, he called you to live, to preach life to the people. You don't have to die. He already hung on a cross. And so I just think that Frank James Thompson, the word, I, 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 I wish I could remember the word that he used, but it's uh, it, it, it's like he had a problem just accepting that all the price has been paid. So... Yeah, you're being clear. It's there's a lot that gets added to all this, though. Um, I, doesn't Paul deal with this? And I don't have my Bible open in front of me about uh, grace and and law. And you know, should we sin so that grace should abound further? Basically, in Romans, where is that? Somebody remind me. That's in Romans, yeah. also. That's Romans yeah. uh, five. Is it? 
so the idea is, yeah, here, here we go. It's, it's 6-1, 6-2, six, 6-3. Six, six, What's the say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And, and this this passage, in my mind, sort of spoke, Pastor Rick, into what you were pointing out in the in the chain reference Bible, that that people struggle with this because it's it's um, once once a person starts to get a grip on or an awareness, if you will, of what they're being saved from, it, it, it's um, it's really outrageous, you know, what grace actually is because it's something of incredible value for absolutely nothing. It's a completely mismatched transaction, and then it causes. I suppose some people to say, well, if that's the way it really works, then then I ought to be able to go off and just shoot people, and God will forgive me. It, it, that's a twisting, and I think that's what Paul's speaking of in Romans six. But isn't that how people naturally would answer that? Is to say, well, if you're right, then I can go do whatever I want. What's the point, Bob? Hmm. Oh, anybody? Well, any. Uh, well, there, there, there's some tension here that. Uh, you know, after our discussion last week, I sat here and, and worked a little bit on that and just thinking about the contrast between grace and law. Grace says we have to repent and accept his forgiveness. Law says, uh, well, that's really good. That put you to zero. Now you've got to go out and do something. And uh, I'm thinking of my background. You know, we, we talked about penance which is now, you know, I have to add something to the death of Jesus to be saved. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. You know, you know, and, and isn't, you know, the difference between true cr- biblical Christianity and religion is religion keeps adding on things that you have to do to either obtain or maintain one's salvation. That's good, Bob. And, uh, that, is, that is good, my you know, dear. You know, and, you know, you know, in the old world, you know, people had to show up three times a week at church and to be considered spiritual, you know. And I can remember, uh, and I don't want to be too critical of confession in the, in the Roman Catholic tradition, but, you know, I can remember going, you know, bless me, Father, for I've sinned, da, 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 da. And he says, okay. Uh, for your penance. Well, the problem with that, and, and there's a point at which I continue to repent, maybe, and uh, set a con- upon a course of, you know, allowing the Holy Spirit to change my life. But if I cross the line and begin to say, I'm going to add, I'm going to make payment to God for what I did, well, that negates what was done at the cross. It means that the atonement exactly was... Right. Was the atonement was insufficient, and it's not insufficient. So what, a, anyway, I don't know how that. Could, could I ask a question? Go right ahead. The floor is yours, what, my friend. What's what's the? I don't know about everybody else, but what's the normal state of mind? That's where I was going too. Yeah, of that, a Christian. Normally, normally, normally I walk around in joy. I don't walk around feeling my salvation took away the guilt. 
it took the weight off of me. So if if we're still talking about if we all of this is a spinoff from guilt, my normal state, I normally exist in a state of joy because of what He has done, what He's already done. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So I don't, you know, for me to feel guilty is 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 normally a result of me examining some action that I did and and concluding that it was wrong. Me. Because normally I'm full of the joy of the Lord. So so th- this question came to me. Is guilt an emotion or is it a spirit? I I don't know. Well, that's a tough one because there there is elements of that 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 uh, you know if you say spirit you know are we talking about outside negative spiritual beings that are oppressing us and obviously that does happen. On the other hand, you know, is it a spirit within ourselves where we're so crushed that? We haven't really wrestled with God and what it means to be uh, forgiven. You know, and and that comes through teaching, doesn't it, from the pulpit and in personal study to begin to say, okay, what what has He saved me from, and what was the cost of the of my redemption? And how sufficient was the blood? Um, well, well, I know Satan. Satan will mess with the ignorance of the church. I have church people that that come to me with that all the time. Is what is guilt, Pastor? Is is, is it my emotion? Is 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 it my soul? Or is it is it a spirit? And I know the Bible. Okay, so we're back to recording. We just had a huge technical <laughs> difficulty, and this may take some editing, but we're going to stitch it all together. The last thing we talked about offline fixing the IT problem was, should the balance of this uh, conversation go in? Should it go back to a discussion of uh, the believer's role in guilt, or should it continue down the track of what's the substance of guilt? And Bob summed up both beautifully, and Bob, take it from that. Well, what I was thinking about is the whole idea that that we have two levels of of thing going on in in our spirits, in our heart. One is the forgiveness offered to us by God that we've accepted. But we also have a conscience. We have a conscience there, but we have a conscience with the people we may have offended or wrongs done. So with people, we may have to go make amends, depending on the circumstance. Uh, we may have to do some penance or restitution, but those are human work, not God work. And with God, you know, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, He says, "Your sins and inequities I will remember no more." You know, He's thrown them into the pits of the sea. I mean, there is a problem there. How can God forget anything? But yet he tells us he does. So when we start dealing with conscience, we have to say, is this our wounded conscience? 
And if we, in fact, have squared them with God, and uh, Frank, you could probably help me. What's the step where you know, we have to make amends where we can in that 12-step program? Well, the four is the fearless and thorough moral inventory, and then became willing to make amends. So amends begin in step six, I think. Is that what it is? But yeah. at, at any yeah. rate, there is... There, so we have two things going on at one, and I think that's one of the problems that uh, that we have, you know, as we talk with people who have wounded consciences. Is it wounded as being unconfessed to God, or is wounded they have accounts open with somebody that they need to go square one way or another? In my experience, those are two very different things. Yes, they are hopeless, but yet they still relate to this whole. Yeah, but they still relate to the guilt thing. Um, you know, I was I was looking up here because in in Second Timothy three it talks about um, captivating weak women, and I don't think it's just women that have the problem, but there's a there's a certain class of leader who. Uh, if they don't make you feel guilty, they don't think they've done the job from the pulpit. And uh, th there needs to be some, you know, and that plays on the human side of things. And, and I guess maybe that's where, you know, we were talking last week about having the, uh, the, the confidant friend, not necessarily in our hierarchy or our chain of command, but somebody that we can go and say, uh, gee, Frank, you know, I've been feeling thus and thus and thus. Am I real? Is, is that a problem between me and God, or is that a problem between me and this other person? Uh, because, uh, you know, James, you know, confess your sins one to another that you might be healed thereby. And I think that there's a, a function in the church, or ought to be a function, where we are priests to our fellow and and we have to have that. If we don't have that, I, I think it's incredibly difficult to overcome our wounded conscience. I'm thinking of Martin Luther and how he struggled with forgiveness. And it was struggling before God, but, uh, you know, you wonder, is it is it was it also a struggle with, you know, I mean, life in the Middle Ages was pretty tough. You know, how could you live without offending somebody or violating some social moray. So by experience, I, I, I live the distinctions you're drawing there, Bob, between the guilt before God and the guilt, you know, before man. And I was wrong. It's not the sixth step. It's the ninth. And, and if you ever look at those oh. steps, they're really interesting. They, they, um, the, every other one from the inventory forward is about preparation. You know, I became willing for God to, to, to you know, mm. take all these sins from me. And then I became willing to go make amends. And I became willing to go and, you know what I mean? So every other one is like a go become willing step. But but to Pastor Reagan's point about is this a spirit, you know, there is a spiritual realm. And I don't want to see Satan mm -hmm. behind every, every bush or tree, but I, I'm here to tell you that that there's some of this stuff that comes that has – no foundation at all, either in experience that somebody have something against me or what I believe to be my position with God. And this stuff will sometimes still show up that has no root to it, no nothing, and it's just an affliction. And if you told me that that was entirely a spiritual attack, 
a satanic attack, you know, a demonic attack. I would believe that. Now, how far can a believer mm-hmm. be oppressed? I don't know. And how far down that track I'm willing to go, I'm, I'm not sure. But I wouldn't want to leave behind that 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 other component. Hmm. Yeah. And now, then we have this that, over overlay too in in our culture of of the uh, mental illness. Well, mental illness. I'm I'm thinking of chemical imbalances. Mm-hmm. And there's so much there's so much chemical in our food. I mean, you know, autism, for instance, you know, it used to be one out of 175. Uh, you know, in our church in Columbia, you know, the last count that we went through it, out of 50 kids, I think we had 12 that had someplace on autism spectrum. The conclusion we come to is uh, you know, a lot of the chemicals in our system. How do you discern whether it's a chemical imbalance, autism imbalance, or real spiritual oppression? You know, I mean, I know people that just, they're just in the dumps all the time. Within AA, within any of the recovery programs, the 12-step ones, not the commercial stuff, there's been a debate that has not raged, but it's been alive and active ever since they wrote the big book back in the 30s, and that is if the doctor prescribed meds, or my depression or moods or what have you, should I stop taking them? Mm. Well, I mean, who's supposed to answer that question, right? Yeah. So there, there are potentially four or five different components to the substance of guilt, right? What is guilt? But mm-hmm. but what does that even look like in the life of the church? I mean, how do you? Uh, what does somebody even say about all that? You know, somebody comes and says, "Pastor, I'm miserable." <laughs> you know, what do I do? <laughs> Yeah. Where do you start? Well, and, and, and well, that, was my, that was my point. My normal state is that of joy. That's my normal state as a Christian. Mm. The joy of the Lord is my strength. If that's my normal state. If I'm pulled away from, and, and I walk in that when I'm aware of what he did for me, when I'm aware of that sacrifice, the price that he paid, then that keeps me in that state of joy. It's not me. By grace are you saved and not of yourselves. When I walk under that umbrella, I'm full of joy. When I leave Mm. that and go back to trying to make it happen myself, that's where I struggle. Mm. That's that's, that's where uh, uh, Satan, it seems like I opened the door. And then he'll come in with his deception. But in fairness, you're talking about somebody considerably further down the road than a new believer or returning believer. In other words, is it possible that there's a battle that has to be won about, am I going to walk in joy? And then, you know, and and part of that is, you know, is my house clean? You know, Bob, you mentioned uh, Second Peter. Uh, uh, Second Timothy, rather, and uh, I'll, I'll never find it, but but basically it, yeah, it three, basically says three, we go pure. We, yeah, no, I found that, but there was a follow-on uh, passage after oh. that that was sort of interesting. It went with it, but basically it said we go and we purify ourselves. Maybe that's in John, but but, but it says well, that the guy who. Oh yeah, it's it's First John uh, three three, and everyone who has this hope mm-hmm. in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So in the beginning. There's this thing where 
for the first time in our lives, maybe we we confront the idea of real sin, not in the hypothetical like, oh dear, you know, there's this thing called sin, but really this thing this thing is me. I am I am the man of sin, and now I have to really confront my sin in light of the gospel. Well, after that comes a time of, you know, house cleaning. You know, you can't stay in these filthy rags. I mean, isn't that the picture in Zechariah where where you know mm-hmm. the angel of the Lord cleans up the high priest, right? And and says, this is a branch I've plucked from the fire. What is that, like Zechariah 4 somewhere? 3? Mm-hmm. But beyond that is where I sense Pastor Aiken's talking from. That, that that has been fought. The house is clean. Everything's right and put in good order. And yet this thing will from time to time try to come back. Is that what you mean? Yeah, even in Zechariah 3, didn't the Lord rebuke Satan for trying, Absolutely. To, for trying to accuse the high priest? That's that's exactly right, and and because he didn't say that the, the the Satan was wrong in the accusation, he just didn't have authority for the for the accusation. He, the substance was probably correct, but the 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 authority for it was incorrect. Hmm. In other words, he wasn't saying the Lord wasn't saying though. No, this guy is clean as a whistle because he had to be reclothed, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And and he says to Satan, he says. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Well, you know, what does that speak to? Accept redemption, you know, accept grace. The, the brand plucked from the fire. I mean, the other the other brands burned up, right? And if he was plucked from the fire, everything was burnt off of him. So if, if you want, let me just read like the first couple of verses of that. Uh, this is uh, Zechariah 3, verse 1, and down a couple. Uh, reading from the uh, New King James. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And then it goes from there. So we put on the robes that, of Christ. Yeah, yeah. So, so what if we said that the person coming or coming again to Jesus, there is that initial battle where the decision. I hesitate to use that word, but truth has to be accepted on a really foundational level in the person's life, and I suppose it can only happen through trial. That that my guilt is real before God, and that I need a Savior, someone to cleanse me. And and without that, I'm doomed. But once that's done, then it's that fight is fought. Do you really need to go back and refight that? No, you don't. Truly, I mean, do you really need to go back and, and redo it? I don't mean theoretically. I mean actually. You know the pain you, 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 you experience accepting that truth. That's where Frank James Thompson had a problem with that verse. That's my point. We hmm. don't have to go back and Jesus said it's finished. What are you trying to pay the price for? I've already paid it all. It's done. Mm-hmm. He didn't leave he didn't leave anything unfinished. He took care of everything. Is that the picture in Zechariah? That's that's what I see. Okay. It's a, it's a brand okay. plucked from the fire. He's right. already come. Yeah, the clothes are gone. No, the, there is. I wonder if if it would be proper to say, therefore, yes, uh, we have been cleansed. 
But sometimes we have to remind ourselves that we've already declared uh, Christ as Lord. And when pangs of guilt for things already dealt with come upon us, that we say, no, no, that that is already been surrendered to the Lordship of Christ and reminding ourselves of what is true, even though I may not feel like it at the moment. And at that point, the guilt is a feeling. It's a false thing. Wow. And that's, that's awesome, what you just said. That's awesome. You know, because, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, we don't, we don't have to dredge it back up with God. We've already settled it with him. But we have to remind ourselves because we still, you know, we may be seated in the heavenlies with Christ positionally, but I tell you, our feet are still in the ditches of planet Earth. And, and whether we're looking down or whether we're looking up, we, we have to acknowledge his lordship moment by moment, do we not? Have you guys have you guys ever heard this saying in the church? I I hear I hear I hear God's people say it all the time. I'm a sinner saved by grace. All the time. Yeah. All okay. the time. If if I'm the way that's said is it's said in the present tense. If, mm. if if I'm a sinner, then what did I get saved from? Mm. I'm to, to me, I'm not a sinner. I don't practice sin. My old life, I practiced sin. I woke up every day. My motive was to sin. I was running towards it. I thought about it. That was my, the height of my day. But I'm saved now. You mean to tell me I'm saved and I'm still a sinner? <laughs> what am I saved from? So, so... All right, this is a, a really great conversation because, for me, my perspective, because words really have a meaning, and words tend to shape the experience that people have. And I've heard this this exact line of thinking before, and I and I like it because th there is a total positional change in salvation. So while I may still sin, I don't really have the office anymore or station of sinner. Sinner meaning that hopeless, um, trapped, doomed, you know what I mean? Out of the womb, doomed. I'm not that guy anymore. Yeah, total body. So, so, you know, and I've heard it put different ways. You know, when I came out of the womb, I was a citizen of this realm, which meant I was a subject of Satan. So I, I, I did everything his way. Well, now I'm a citizen of my Heavenly Father, and I'm trying to do things his way I'm learning. So you could say that I'm a child in school. So even though two people could say I'm a sinner saved by grace, one could be speaking, well, you know, I'm just always going to be, you know, a slave to sin, and, and that's wrong. And the other one could be saying it as, I've been set free. Now there's cleanup to do, right? There's a lot of learning to do. There's good habits to make and so forth, but... I'm not that guy anymore at all. Yeah. Even though people may come to me from that old life and say, weren't you the guy? I'm like, yeah, I was. And you have no idea how bad that really was. Mm. Is that what you mean, Pastor Aiken? Yes. I think 
I think that's what Satan, I think that's where the deception lies, accepting what Jesus has already done for us on the cross. He paid the full price. I don't have to pay it anymore. I don't. And then the, the, the scripture says, okay, if I fall into sin, in, in my life, even as a man of God, there are seasons where I struggle. Hmm. There are seasons where I fall into almost a series of mistakes. And the enemy used to come and beat me up so bad I feel so guilty until I read that scripture. There is now no condemnation. I'm not condemned hmm. now. If I confess my fault, he's faithful and just to forgive me of some. No, he's faithful and just to forgive me of all unrighteousness. And that promise continues. And he won't just forgive, but he cleanses us from Thank all unrighteousness. You. So in other words, not only am I freed from this, but now if, I'm, if, if I continue to believe him, he's going to fix it so that I don't have to keep doing the same thing again and again and again. It may take some time to come out of it, but but the promise is, is there. I really struggled. I died in that promise, that one right there, First John one nine, because it was both together. So I first had to really accept that no, I really am that dirt bag. There was no good in me that was of me. None. There was none at all. That's a, a an easy thing that people say in the church, and they say it theoretically, like, oh yes, we have this thing called sin that's you know attracted itself to the soles of my shoes, you know. Oh, rescue me from this body of death, right? But they don't—they don't always mean it, you know. To really confront my own sin breaks my heart. It's—it's it's the end of all life. It's—it's—it's it's, it's really difficult, I think. But the promise that comes after it is as scandalous as as anything in the scriptures. It says it'll that the Lord will cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I am—I—I I am the high priest, Joshua in Zechariah. And there is now no condemnation. None. 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 And that naturally, I suppose, leads into a debate about, well, you know, uh, what about the person who habitually sins? And I say, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe they're a work in progress like I am and they're earnestly trying. Maybe it's something they'll go to the grave battling against. Uh, maybe they aren't really safe. I don't know. I I don't have a clue. I I hesitate in these things. I don't think salvation is a one-time deal. Me personally, I don't think salvation is a one-time thing. I think you got. I think you have to come back and present yourself. I think salvation is a lifelong process, and and I think it starts. Salvation starts a process called sanctification. Where God separates. Yeah. yeah, I would modify that to say that sanctification is a lifetime. Salvation. Okay. I like it. I you like know. It. Yeah, we almost got a Catholic there for a minute, and, and I love those guys. Yeah, well, or, or extreme Arminian, you know, the daisy. He loves me, he loves me not, you know. And. <laughs> Stop it, Bob. That is wrong. Have you ever heard that before? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and 
And how many people walk the aisle because they think that they sinned last week and they got to walk the aisle again to get saved? And oh my word! And you know, but if we are truly saved, if we've truly had uh, an encounter with Christ, we've submitted to Him. Yeah, we're still going to mess up, but that's where you know I beseech you to present your body. That was stated yeah. to Christians, Romans twelve one and two. It's a it's yeah. an ongoing keep on presenting. There is a continual lordship decision, and I think uh, that's what we would call sanctification. It's the process, and uh, you know I think the I other think- thing that I. I I, I want to rewind the one step. I guess when I was working on my second master's in, in counseling, uh, you know, one of the intake things that they did for somebody with de- depression is, hey, let's get a complete medical workup and find out if there isn't mm. some organic chemical basis in this. And I think a lot of Christians are weighted down because – Hey, they aren't eating right, or they got too much sugar in their diet, or who knows, too much caffeine. Um, and yeah, the, the, we can't ignore that organic piece of that. Um, now, but now, is it the bugaboo of all depression? No, I don't think so. I think there still is a spiritual root that we really do have to deal. Um, with the promises of God about our redemption and, and what is the extent of his payment on the cross. And, uh, you know, a lot of religious people, maybe I can do a blanket statement here, uh, certain religions want you addicted to their religion so you can keep coming back to them. And if they gloss over the depths and the extent, the height and the depth and the distance of forgiveness, well, hey, they might lose their congregation because they're going to go walk around joyful. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I love what you do. <laughs> you know, and it's that, it's that captivate by weak women uh, of Timothy, you know, and weak people. Silly women. Uh, Silly women and and ignorant men and uh, if 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 you don't get into the word yourself, if you're only dependent upon what the pastor says for that twenty five or forty five minutes or whatever time he has once a week, you will remain a spiritual infant. In the black church, two hours. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I think I think the rule in the black church was for each hour under that preaching, it's an hour at Brooklyn Baptist at the buffet line. That's what I I think the rule was. I'd have to check. Wow. I had an interesting. I I was going to say I had an interesting conversation with my pastor uh, last week, and uh, he was talking how architecture has changed, and that. The older houses used to have a parlor where the men, especially the men, would gather after dinner and they would talk theology. And that's missing from the modern house. And there's a certain acknowledgement that he was pointing to that a few minutes in the pew 
and somebody in the pulpit is not going to grow you spiritually sufficiently. I, I agree with that. I I I, I do. And, and the, so the big thing that I'm taking out of this this thing about guilt, just okay. So put yourself in the in the in the shoes of our typical listener. Bog in the pew, new Christian, somebody coming back, somebody looking for some kind of clarity. What do we tell them? Mm. There is now no condemnation, even though it may feel like there's condemnation. Yeah. Um, Joshua had on dirty clothes, but then the Lord said he was a a brand plucked out of the fire, but then he had to change garments. Which, if you wove that into Romans 12, 1 and 2, and we, we didn't read that out loud, um, that's, that's really sort of worth reading. Because in, in the picture in Zechariah, um, Joshua isn't doing anything. He's just standing there receiving grace. So Paul says, As I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, this is Romans 12, 1 and 2, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Aren't we really there talking about a, a lifelong process of sanctification as Joshua in the new robes? Where the story and the picture in Zechariah cuts off is you don't see what happens to Joshua when, G, when, when the angel of the Lord sends him away. What did Jesus tell people in the New Testament? Okay, go forth and sin no more. Just, just start doing better. He told that to the woman uh, caught in adultery. He told it to, uh, was it the guy at the pool of Siloam? That guy, you know, go forth or mm-hmm. just something worse will happen to you. I hate to say it's grace plus works because it's not. But I suppose the one who has been plucked from the fire and knows it maybe doesn't need to be told that offering their body as a living sacrifice is the next right thing to do. Maybe they know it. Maybe they... I mean, when you guys came to Jesus, didn't you kind of, like, live that way? You were sort of, like, impelled almost, drawn, pulled? I know, for me, that's exactly how it went. And I didn't, I was, I, I was unaware of the significance of most of the things that I was doing. Hmm. Frank, I, and I, I wonder. In a bad way. No, no. I, I'm how, just, I'm sitting here. Go ahead. But didn't you have a Jerry in your background helping you? Yeah, but how did Jerry get there? Well, let's not talk about Jerry. Let's talk about, I'm thinking of my life. You know, okay, I became a Christian, and I had Bill Mallard down the hall. And, you know, part of that being transformed is you begin to wrestle with questions, and you have your spiritual mentor who you, hey, what about, and he gives you an answer. And isn't that part of that maybe that searching moral inventory where we begin to search out, okay, I'm a Christian. How is a Christian supposed to live, you know? And, sort of, and yes. it's a process. Okay, kind of. All right. What I'm trying to get to with, you know, how did Jerry get there? How did the guy down the hall get there? There's a saying that we use in, in the flesh. Everybody used to say it. When the student is ready, the teacher appears. Right? Mm-hmm. So... How did you even know to go ask that guy anything? How did you even want to go ask that guy anything? How did you even have a question to ask? This is what I mean about being pulled, about being drawn. Like, I almost think that when someone has the real disease, the real, you know, the real disease, 
they they go almost intuitively and do the next right thing. So they head down the hall to see that weird guy who who reads his Bible all the time and say, hey, did you ever think about this? And it turns out the guy did. If you if I had met Jerry a, a year before, I wouldn't have recognized him for who he was. I wouldn't have known. He would have mm-hmm. had nothing of value to say to me at all. Mm-hmm. And not because mm-hmm. he had changed, but because I was totally different. So in other words, what if we come into the Christian life with a bunch of experience for which we ought to feel guilty and for a condition that we can't change that we ought to feel guilty. So it's stuff we did and stuff we were born into. And it's a lifetime of learning how to believe and so live God's way. What if that's what it is? Hmm. In other words, Pastor Aiken, for the, the person in the church saying, why do I feel this way? What if it's normal? What if it's just a stop along the way? Um, my response to that, you made a statement earlier. You said, Jesus said, go and sin no more. How do we do that? Well, that's impossible on our own. Right. So what I think he's saying is go and accept what I've already done for you, which changes your category. You're not a sinner anymore. It's what I did on the cross. Because you'll never sin no more. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, so to me, I thank God. Um, I thank God that I've come to the revelation. I'm not a sinner. I don't. I, I, I don't look at myself as being a sinner. Right. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I'm none of that. You're saint. Period. You're you're saint. You're you're you're. So when we started talking, Bob and I back in the summer, and we got to wrap this up in a little bit because I got to get back to work. But um, Bob was talking about an idea that he was fooling with about driving a stake in the ground spiritually, about what that would mean if there was like a boundary stake in the ground, right? And and that resonated with me because I, I got to about the same sort of a thing in a different way early on about, uh, you remember that tribe they always used to tell, tell you about in school in Africa, they carried a, like a carved pole and wherever, and they were nomads, and wherever the pole was, was the center of the universe. And people used to talk about them like they were stupid people who did that, but I lived that way. So, Pastor Rick, were you saying my default value is joy? My default value is I always know where I am. I'm, I'm at the center of the universe. I understand. Is that the same thing? I mean, we're talking. I feel like we're talking about the same thing, but not quite. Again, hmm. no. I just, as for me in my house, what he did on the cross is enough for me. And, and it's going to get me where I need to go. It's finished. I, I, I That's the stake in the ground. That's con- I don't wrestle with condemnation. That's the stake in the ground. That's the thing that says, I, I know where I came from. I know how I got here. I know what this is all about. I, I, there is no problem anymore. Yeah. What do you, and, what do you think? Bob, what do you think? Is that is that what you're talking about? 
Well, yeah, to some extent. And, you know, that's just, I've never heard that illustration about the pole in the ground and the stake in the ground there. But what brought to mind is uh, Psalm uh, uh, 17.8, I believe it is, is talking about keeping me on the as the apple of your eye. And it's talking about God keeping his pupil focused on me. So wherever... And that stake in the ground, that's the touchstone that we keep going back to. You know, Bill, the guy that helped me along, actually kind of led me to Christ and the whole thing, so I knew who to go to. But he had a thing of when you begin to doubt, when you begin to feel guilty, mentally go back to the last place that you had assurance. Mm-hmm. And then, and then pick it up from there. That's the stake that you keep returning to. The last, yes, I did pray the prayer. Yes, I submitted that besetting sin to his lordship. I've gone back to that. Oh, yeah, I'm struggling with it now, but I did submit it, and I'm going to reckon it to still be true. we got about two minutes. Yeah. we got to wrap this up. But, but Pastor Reagan, you're talking about something that maybe – the same as what we're talking about, but it may be different. How do you hear it? Are we still talking about, about grace, number one, and are we talking about what does that struggling believer need to know about guilt? Um, um, and I, I, I guess the way I keep summing things up is, is, is uh, what God has done for me and, and where I am in my, in my walk with the Lord. And I, I try to bring my church uh, up to the, up to, up to that point, I just um. Let me try this a different way. If you could get the church to believe that, right? How would their lives look different in their daily living? I've taught a series on that. Uh, the Lord dealt with me. I almost stayed on that topic for about a year or two, and I could see. I could see the weight fall off of the people. And this is it. The, the weight fell off of them because they no longer felt they had to earn salvation. Mm. Would it be they a no longer felt They no longer felt And I, I could see it in their walk. Mm. Because in this life, we got to earn everything else. I got to go to work to pick up a check. I, it's yep. what I have to do to do. I got to go get my car fixed. I got to go do this. And that mindset comes with them into the church. So a few conversations ago, Bob had mentioned a, uh, an old uh, example or word picture of how to think about this life in light of the gospel, and it was glancing at this world but gazing on Jesus. Wow. Is that, is that, do you remember this? Am I, Bob, am I saying that right? Sure. The gaze glance. We, we, we try to focus our attention. You so, know. Pastor Ray, can you take them through a sermon series on grace like this? There's no condemnation, and it takes a while, but they begin to gaze on the right thing. And then their lives get better. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. I could hear it in their conversations. They no longer feel they got to pay for sin. Hmm. They feel they got to pay for it. The enemy, through condemnation, through ignorance, 
makes them feel that they have to pay for everything. And then there's this crazy teaching up in the holiness church that you got to be perfect. you got to earn everything. You know, you. I prayed for an hour and a half last night, which makes me righteous. Really? <laughs> so, so when I was when I was talking about fasting all those years ago, I'm, I'm understanding better how that how that would have been wrong. It may have been a useful stop along the way for me, and if I'd stayed there only, all would have been well. But trying to hand that off to somebody else, that's where the problems begin. I for, I forget this passage. I hear people use it all the time. It's a fasting passage. And I did some study and research on, on on the original text, and the word fasting is not even in it. I, oh, God, I wish I could think of where it is right now. I wish I could think of it. It, it. The word fasting is not even in the original text, but it's in it's in uh, the, the, the uh, King James Version. Okay. So so the idea just being that this this whole glance gaze, the stake in the ground, these are things that the guy in the pulpit, the lady in the pulpit, need to know. No? Yes. Yes. You know, First Timothy 4 talks about fixing our eyes. I guess that's the gaze, fixing our eyes. And, yeah, we do have to look around at the way we behave or whatever, but, but our fixation in the, in the healthy sense, is the price paid for us that we are redeemed. We no longer are in bondage to have to sin. I like this a lot. This feels like a very, very good place to stop, unless you guys disagree. I'm with no, you. I, 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 I got to digest some of this. <laughs> so, so well, we also have to edit some of this. Could I, could I read my outro yeah. and, then, and then we can? Yeah, read your outro. <laughs> All right. Well, it seems hard to believe, but we have come to the end of our time with each other for today. And we do know that there's much, much more we could discuss about any topic. So today's top talk was more like an introduction than a really exhaustive survey. If you liked what we did, and we really hope you do, we would ask you to subscribe or even to like the podcast. It would also really help us to help you if you leave some comments about how we could improve. Comments about topics, uh, how we talk about them, how we talk to each other, sound quality. Every little bit helps us to make content that's more of a blessing to you. Again, thank you for listening with us today, and may the Lord richly bless you in all that you do.